Our lesson for this first Sunday of Advent is Isaiah 64. Pay close attention. This is God's holy word. Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence. As fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things for which we did not look, you came down. The mountains shook at your presence. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God beside you who acts for the one who waits for him. You meet him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. You are indeed angry, for we have sinned. In these ways we continue, and we need to be saved. But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like wind, have taken us away. And there is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us, and have consumed us because of our iniquities. But now, O Yahweh, you are our father. We are the clay, and you are potter, and we are all the work of your hand. Do not be furious, O Yahweh, nor remember iniquity forever. Indeed, please look, we all are your people. Thus far the reading of God's word, let us give thanks together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity to gather in your presence to come before you, to offer up our thanksgivings and our praises. You've forgiven our sins. Now we rest to hear your word. Please fill me with your spirit as I deliver it, as I attempt to articulate this, loosen my tongue and free my mind as I uh, uh, communicate these things and then open all of our hearts and cause us to receive these things by your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. They should put patience on the endangered species list. Patience is the amazing disappearing virtue. I don't think anybody's gonna disagree with me on this. We as a society are becoming noticeably, significantly more restless and feisty and discontent and irritable and impatient. And this is true, ironically, this is true in an age of ease and convenience unlike the world has ever seen. You have to wonder if the technology has something to do with our short attention span, as if, as if it has something to do with our lack of ability to wait for anything. Technology, when it, when it does what it's supposed to do, trains us in impatience. Our, our, our technological advancement trains us, it disciples us in impatience. You remember when you would write a letter to a relative across the country? You'd even do it with a pen, and you'd put it in an envelope, and you'd lick a stamp and you'd stick it on it and you'd put it in a mailbox and it might be weeks before you heard back from the person that you wrote to. It, there might be a different president before Aunt Trudy gets around to writing you back and it's okay and you're happy with that. Now, if someone doesn't text you back right away, you assume they're either in a horrible accident or they're rudely ignoring me, one or the other, if they don't respond right away. Remember when you had to wait an entire week to see the next episode of your favorite TV show. And oh, if you missed it, you might never see it. It's just gone. You might catch it in reruns at some point, but it was just gone. Now you have a tiny computer in your pocket. You pull up any show that's ever been filmed in the history of television. You can binge an entire season over a weekend. Technological advancements are a great blessing, but they're always trade-offs. 
Our technologies change us, and we are being trained to have the expectation of immediate results and instant gratification. That is what our technology is training us in. And the problem with that is that in spite of all our conveniences, we still have all kinds of challenges that don't have quick and easy resolutions. When our, when our lives are populated with, with technologies that move at the speed of light, we are apt to become extremely frustrated with any process that moves at a significantly slower pace. Your maturation as a person moves slowly. Building and keeping a marriage uh, is long and difficult work. Developing any skill or any talent means grinding away at the fundamentals, repeating the same processes over and over and over until they become a part of you. The point is, all good change comes slowly and painfully. All the great work in our lives moves at glacial speed compared to how much time it takes to load a video on a phone or send, send a, a text. So, so when we look at the problems of our lives and of our society, when we look at everything that's out of order, wherever there's corruption or injustice or idolatry, wherever there's something broken, we have to remind ourselves deliberately remember that the only effective remedies to all of these things, the only effective remedies are long and sacrificial and painful. And the, and the temptation in the face of that, the temptation for us is to give up, to get mad, to throw in the towel, to rage and fume and fuss and rant because good change is not going to happen as quickly as we desire. I can't just push an icon on a, on a touch screen to get the resolution that I'm looking for. Toward the end of the book of Isaiah, the prophet expresses a holy frustration over the sins of his people. And, and at the same time, staring down the long and painful process of reformation. Isaiah lives more than 700 years before the coming of Jesus. They have a long way to go before Messiah comes. And, and in looking at his people and the state of his society and looking at this long work of reformation, Isaiah erupts in this cry out to God. He says, oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down. Come, Lord, right now. I don't want to wait any longer. <laughs> come right now and sort everything out. Shake the mountains. Make your name immediately known to your enemies so that they can't deny it is you who has created them and has created the world. Remember, Lord, when you did that at Sinai, uh, Isaiah brings that up. He says, remember when you spoke and the earth shook? We long for you to do that again. Come, bring an end to all rebellion. Put a stop to all sin and unbelief. Deliver us from idolatry and oppressors and corruption. Now, even as Isaiah writes these things and has acknowledged these things, he also acknowledges that the corruption that needs cleansing is not only out there somewhere. It's not just among the bad people. It's not just among the heathen. The corruption that needs cleansing is in him and it's in his people. So he says, we are unclean. None of us stirs himself up to take a hold of you. The reason, Lord, you seem so far away is because of our iniquities. 
The prophet understands what it would mean for God to answer his prayer. When he prays, Lord, just rip open the heavens and come down and fix everything right now, Isaiah understands what that, what that means. That kind of swift, decisive judgment would be glorious, but it would be violent and it would be disruptive. The coming of the day of the Lord means that time's up, not only for all the rebels out there, but for us as well. The prophet Amos um, talks about this, and this was one of our lectionary readings a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Amos talks about how, th this, how the prospect of God's sudden and swift judgment on the day of the Lord, how, how God moving suddenly in judgment, it's terrifying. Amos says, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. You're not getting away from it. Nobody escapes. Amos says, this is a time of reckoning for everybody, not, not just the bad guys. So, so Isaiah comes to rest in this. He says in verse four, since the beginning of the world, men have not perceived by the ear nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. Despite our desire, our urgent desire for immediate justice, Isaiah says, God delivers the one who waits. God blesses the one who waits. God pours out unbelievable, indescribable providences upon the one who waits. The scriptures are full of examples of people who are put into positions where all they can do is wait on the Lord, for the Lord to come and sort things out and to make things right in his own time. We could name all of them. If, if we call Job and Abraham and Joseph and Moses and Joshua and Caleb, they all have to wait. All the women uh, like Hannah and Rachel, who are praying and waiting for children, and time and time and time again, God delivers the one who waits, the one who grasps for glory, the one who takes shortcuts, the one who gets feisty and impatient. They get poor, sad, counterfeit, empty results. And Isaiah sees this playing out in history right in front of him at this time. Isaiah is writing this during a time where um, it's the time of the kings and the Lord has promised Israel that he's gonna protect them from their enemies and their land is gonna prosper if only they will humble themselves, worship him alone and obey his law. If you do that, the Lord says, I'm gonna fight your enemies for you. I'm gonna protect you. But the kings of Israel, they always take shortcuts. They don't want Yahweh's protection. They don't want Yahweh to fight their battles for them. They fear the scary empires of the world, so out of fear, they make alliances with the pagan nations around them and end up in those alliances. They end up worshiping their false gods. And ultimately, how does it end? Well, their land's destroyed and they're led away in chains. The pragmatic solution, the impatient solution in the Bible ends in slavery and chains and darkness. That's, that's how it ends. God delivers the one who waits. That is the message that Isaiah gives us here. The one who patiently trusts God when everything around them looks hopeless and terrible. And throughout the scriptures, we get these exhortations toward, toward patience. In Psalm 27, 14, wait on Yahweh. 
Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on Yahweh. Psalm 37, 9. Evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on Yahweh, they shall inherit the earth. Psalm 41. I waited patiently for Yahweh, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. Now we hear these things and we nod and we say, yeah, in an abstract sort of way, sure, yeah, is it great to wait on the Lord? Sure, should we be patient? Absolutely, everybody should be patient. We know that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We know that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And we know that that doesn't happen overnight. So we wait in patient hope. We all have the theology down. We, we all score 100% on the theology exam on the, on the theology of patience and waiting and hope in the Lord's redemption of the earth. And yet, we fail to practice that very same patience when dealing with the specific things that we're frustrated with right now. Right now. I, 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 I guarantee there is something broken or just not right or some disorder or some unfulfilled desire that you are bearing under right now. There's something that you can name and, and all I have to do is say it and your mind goes right to it. And if you're being honest with, with me, you're pretty fed up with it. You're, you're pretty tired of it. You are sick of waiting. You, you have been looking and you have been praying for a resolution for a long time and it hasn't come. It hasn't, it hasn't just happened. You've sung the Psalms. You've sang, how long, O Lord? You've sung all the Psalms that say, how long, O Lord? Isaiah's prayer hits home for you when, when Isaiah says, Lord, just rip open the heavens and come down and fix this mess. Tear the sky wide open and fix this for me now. You want that. You've prayed for that, but it hasn't happened. And so you're gonna go to bed tonight and you're gonna wake up tomorrow morning with the very same set of circumstances, with the very same complaint. So, so how does our great theology of hope in the redemption of God, the, the lordship of Jesus over all things, how does that great theology meet our life where we are right now with the frustrations that we have right now in waiting for answers and deliverances and corrections that it doesn't look like it's coming anytime soon. How do, we, how do we put this together? What are some biblical principles that will help me wait faithfully? I, James says, let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I want that. If I'm gonna wait for something, it, I, I want it to perfect me. I wanna become complete through it. I don't wanna waste this opportunity that the Lord has given to me. So if, so if he's given me a difficulty to complete me, to make me perfect, I want that. So what are some things? This is not exhaustive. This is not comprehensive. These are a few things, though, that I hope are helpful. In waiting on the Lord and in yielding patiently to his schedule, letting patience have its perfect work, we all need to come to terms with something. There's a reality that we must all accept, and that is this. Everyone and everything in your life right now, apart from the Lord Jesus, everything is incomplete and imperfect. There is nobody and there is nothing in your life, apart from your union with Christ, nothing which is complete. There is nothing that is perfect. The only perfect thing in your life is your union with Christ and the promises he makes to you in word 
and water and bread and wine. That's all. That's, that's all that is complete. Apart from Jesus, everything and everyone in your life is incomplete. Oh, that sounds like, oh yeah, I got that. No, no, no. Listen to me. <laughs> Listen. We need to come to grips with this because we get super frustrated with people and things that don't work right as if it's a surprise. As if, oh yeah, I forgot I lived in a fallen world surrounded by sinners. I forgot that. Thank you for reminding me. Isaiah states this explicitly in this text. He says in verse six, he says, we are all like an unclean thing. All of our righteousnesses are filthy rags. The, the fact that we have sinners in our house and sinners in our relatives and sinners in, in, among our friends is aggravating when we are trying to project an image of flawlessness or we have this ideal that we're aiming for of absolute perfection and, and flawlessness. And when we try to carefully curate this ideal image and keep up appearances around people that we're trying to impress, uh, that, that is, that is uh, mind-numbingly frustrating and, and fruitless. Um, and, and it's what Ecclesiastes would call trying to, to shepherd the wind. Because inevitably, the charade collapses. Because everyone and everything around you has the potential to disappoint you. The sovereign God of the universe has given you hard-to-love people. He has put hard-to-love people in your life on purpose. He has given you hard-to-bear circumstances on purpose. It's not by mistake. It is by design. The situation he has planted you in is the soil that is required for you to bear the fruit that he desires out of your life. He desires a specific amount and kind of fruit from your life, and the way to get that is by planting you in the soil you're planted in and by giving you the heat and the external uh, sources of trouble and the hardships that he selected for you to produce the kind of fruit that he's looking for. Now, it is possible for you to accept this, to endure it, and be content in the midst of difficulty. Things, I, I, want, um, with, I want to make sure everybody hears this, things do not have to be perfect for you to be content. That if, if, if everything had to be perfect for you to be content, then nobody could ever be grateful for anything. Nobody could ever be happy about anything. But things do not have to be perfect for you to be content. So before we can even begin to work on this precious skill, this virtue of patience, we must accept that there is discomfort in our lives and that discomfort is by design. And that discomfort is not an excuse to sin or to gripe or to be discontent. That it's not an excuse. You are never, ever, ever promised a worry-free, trouble-free life. Uh, it, Paul tells Timothy in, um, in uh, 2 Timothy 2.3, he says to Timothy, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Soldiers endure hardship and you're enlisted. You are enlisted in the army of the Lord Jesus. So, so simply acknowledging these things is so helpful in putting our anger to death, putting our resentment and our frustration to death, in nailing it to the cross. And you do that, 
And you find all of these things to be grateful for. You find all these things to take joy in. But do not entertain the immature and unrealistic expectation that everybody in your life will ever do what you want them to do. Don't ever entertain this unrealistic expectation that everything in your life is gonna work just like you want it to do and, and how you expect it to do and that your life will ever be sinless, perfect, complete on this side of glory. It just won't. It will not. Do not entertain the lie that other people have everything figured out and you alone are hopeless and your life is ruined and, and you're just doomed to never be content. Don't, don't look at your life and your house and your spouse and your children and seethe in covetousness because you think everybody else was dealt a great hand and you were dealt a crummy hand by fate or chance or just the universe. These lies and these false expectations will wreck your life. You will put yourself mentally, spiritually, emotionally in a place that is, that, that, that is, that is destructive if you entertain these lives. It will make you feisty and impatient and restless. So, so just acknowledge, I am a sinner living among sinners in a fallen world. That's, that's my starting point. And Christ calls me to contentment and joy in the middle of all of this. Because Jesus was, right? Because Jesus lived in the same world around the same kinds of sinners and he was joyful. So saying this, saying, well, everything's incomplete, that might sound sad and hopeless, but it's not because of the second encouragement. We can yield to God's perfecting work of patience because everyone and everything in our life is also always changing. Nothing is static. No one stays the same forever. The Holy Spirit of God is alive and active in the world. He hovers over the earth just as he did at creation. The Holy Spirit is bringing order out of chaos. He's moving people and things from glory to glory. And the things that he's moving from glory to glory include you and your spouse and your children and the hard-to-love people in your life. If your spouse is united to Christ, they have God's Holy Spirit abiding in them and they are growing. The good work that the Lord began in them is continuing. In, in so many ways, you're not married to the same person you married 20 years ago or 30 years ago or five years ago. You're not, you're not married to the same person. They have changed. You have changed. This can be difficult to see when you live so close to someone because you see them primarily through their sins and flaws. You've got a front row, you've got a front row seat to all of, their, all of their sins and they do for yours. But it's so important that we stop frequently and consider how they are growing and then to verbalize encouragement and to give credit when real change has taken place. To say, you know what? You don't do that anymore. And, and I've been bitter for so long because I just, I just have, have identified you as the person who does that thing. But when I think about it, that doesn't, that doesn't happen anymore. We don't argue over that anymore. It, it, it used to hurt or annoy me when you did this thing, but, but I can't remember the last time that has happened. And, and then to rejoice in that. This is it's so much easier to see in our children. It's so much easier to watch our children grow because they grow quickly. And then and you just realize one day, hey, I can't remember the last time I had to tie a shoe or wipe a bottom or, or tell somebody 
um, to not put beans in their nose at the dinner table. It's been a long time since I have other things to tell them about now, but I haven't had to tell them those things in a long time. They act like civilized people now. The things I have to correct now are not the things I had to correct when they were two or five. We see this in our children. Our children's growth is so much more pronounced, but the Holy Spirit is doing that with all of us. And if we are being gracious and kind with each other, we make an effort to view people not as what they were, but as what they are in Jesus and what they are becoming in him, to take notice of real growth. And then to be encouraged as you expand that out to the whole world and see the leavening influence of the gospel in the whole world. Note it and mark it wherever you see it. The, the impact that the gospel has had on the nations of man. The world is being transformed and renewed progressively, gradually, cumulatively, as the kingdom of the Lord Jesus fills the whole earth. The, the kingdom of the Lord exposes wickedness and it shines light in all the dark places. And, and, and now those who don't have the Holy Spirit abiding in them, they are also changing, but they're, they're getting worse. And, and that means every day they're getting closer and closer to the judgment. History is not static. Things aren't just bad forever and they don't spiral into into worse and worse. We're all moving together toward the judgment seat of Christ. And because his judgment is just and good and right, that means nobody gets away with anything. Nobody escapes judgment. So we don't have to fret about getting everything worked out in this life. We can rest and hope in these things. So, so just the first two preliminary thoughts is that everyone and everything around you is incomplete. Everyone and everything around you is also changing all the time. That is, a, is an encouragement toward patience. But the third thing to reflect on and what it means to wait on the Lord is that patience is not passivity. Patience is not passive. You may think, well, when you talk about patience, that just means you know, twiddling your thumbs and, and waiting until a solution drops out of the sky. But that's false. Godly patience is born out of an active faith. James, in his epistle, he's got so much to say about patience and, and about waiting for God's deliverance. And James uses the illustration of a farmer in James chapter five. Uh, James says this, he says, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Now, now James does not say, be patient, and what I mean by that is do nothing until the Lord comes back and sorts everything out for you. That's not how James defines patience. No, he says, think about the farmer. What does a farmer do? What does a good farmer, be patient like a farmer. A good farmer is not passive. He plows, he plants, he weeds, he fertilizes, he chases off pests, and he prays. A good farmer controls everything that is within his power to control. He is faithful with everything that is within his ability to control. And he is patient with the factors that he can't control. He can't control the rain. He can't control the temperature. He can't control the yield of the harvest. All those things are out of his hands. Likewise, for you and me to exercise godly patience, it means that we must identify what can we control? 
What is, what is under our jurisdiction? What does God hold me accountable for? And then also understand what I can't control. So that circumstance, whatever it is that's bringing you anxiety right now, that thing you're tired of waiting on, is there anything that God requires of you that you aren't doing? Is there anything that you really ought to be doing that you're not, that you're not doing? You're, you haven't plowed, you haven't planted, you haven't watered, you haven't weeded, you haven't chased away the pests, you, you haven't done these things. Is nothing improving because you haven't plowed or planted? Is that, is that why nothing is improving? Is that why nothing is changing? It's because you haven't been faithful with, you know, when God blesses the earth with, with crops, he's blessing the work of the, the ones who have planted it. Um, so, so patience isn't inactivity. It means doing the thing that God requires us to do. And there are factors out of your control and there are people out of your control, but patience means trusting that when you have faithfully planted, God will bring precisely the harvest that he is seeking on his schedule. Fourth, and more quickly now, fourth, we can yield to the perfecting work of patience because the blessing of the Lord is worth waiting for. We just read how Isaiah described the deliverance that was coming in the day of the Lord. Now, Paul will quote this in uh, 1 Corinthians 2, and we know Paul's quote way better than we know Isaiah's. That's where Paul is quoting Isaiah, though, when he says, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Now, what did Isaiah say? He said, these things, these amazing, wonderful, mind-blowing blessings, God has promised to those who wait for him. Now, Paul says he's promised these for those who love him. Those two words aren't very far apart. That if you love him, if you trust him, you'll wait on him. You're not going to run ahead of him. You're going to wait on him. And the blessings that Paul describes here, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him, whatever he's describing there is worth waiting for. God has prepared these, what God has prepared for those who wait on him is beyond our wildest imagination. We think we know what we need. We, we think we even know what we want, but we have no idea what is in store for those who wait on him. So this kind of godly patience says, Lord, you know what, really? I don't care how long it takes. I really don't care. I don't care what I have to go through. I don't care what I gotta put up with. So long as I receive what you have purposed for my good and for your glory. That is contentment. <laughs> Whatever it is, I don't want to miss it. And I don't want to shortcut it. And I don't want to, I don't want to short fuse it. I short, short circuit it. And, and so what Isaiah prays for here, Lord, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That, actually, it, that happens 700 years later. It happens when the Lord sends Jesus and when Jesus comes, it is, he is, is far beyond anybody, uh, what anybody could have predicted, what anybody imagined. It's wonderful, astounding, and, and perfect. So, so the blessing of the Lord is worth waiting for. That's why I can wait. I can wait because it's worth waiting for. And then fifth, we can yield to the work of patience because God reserves the right to keep us waiting. God reserves the right to keep us waiting. After Isaiah confesses his iniquities and the people's iniquities, in verse 8, he writes, But now, O Yahweh, you are our father, 
and we are the clay. You are the potter, and we all are the work of your hand. In Ephesians 2, Paul says, we are his workmanship. God is a meticulous artist. He is an excellent craftsman. He doesn't slap things together. He doesn't get in a hurry. He, there, there, there is nobody that puts any restraints or any, any, imposes any schedule or timetable on the Lord. He is the master sculptor, and his people are his masterpiece. And so what seems painfully slow to us is perfect timing for a sovereign God who does things just on the timing that he does them, and he has the right, and he, he has all of the, um, uh, all the reason to take his time because he is, he is the potter and we are the clay. He is the master craftsman and we are the work of his hand. So today is the first Sunday of Advent and one of the, one of the themes of this preparatory season is patience and waiting on the Lord, waiting on him to fulfill his promises to draw near to us, to deliver us, to judge all wickedness, to put the world back together the way it belongs. And over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at various emphases of, of Advent by, by following the, the lectionary readings. And I've titled this series, From Struggle to Sabbath, will end on Christmas Eve looking at the fulfillment of so many of these promises. But, but it's my prayer as we march toward Christmas and we march toward this great feast to come this year that we'll be diligent to listen to these readings and these exhortations, to take these things seriously and to make whatever corrections are necessary to really have a happy, joyful, restful Christmas season when we get there. The season of Advent is preparatory. Um, and something I've noticed over the last couple of decades of pastoral ministry is that during this time of year, relationship problems and personal problems and behavior problems are exposed and they tend to explode around the holidays. There are several reasons for this. There are, there are unique pressures around the holidays to make memories and for everything to be perfect. There's a lot to do. It's a busy time, which can add to the exhaustion, and you're not at your best when you're exhausted. You tend to have a lot of extended family around, and, and you have all the stresses that they bring. There's an a, additional financial pressure. This is, a, this is a, an expensive time of the year, it's, it's the end of the year, so you start to reflect. You get really introspective about another year going off the calendar, another year of your life passing, and have I accomplished everything that I wanted to accomplish? Have I done everything that I've wanted to do with my life? Uh, and, and, and then just simply, you've got more time off to be around your family. You've got more time around the uh, people and more opportunities to sin against the people who are who are closest to you. And in all of this activity, in all of this, we have to acknowledge that this is a, this is a target-rich environment for Satan, right? This is, a, this is an environment where we are vulnerable, and this is a time where I have got extra opportunities to sin and really make a mess of things. And if we aren't making a conscious effort every moment to obey the Lord Jesus with our attitudes with our words, with our actions, we are setting ourselves up for failure. This can be a very vulnerable time full of temptation. If your mind is out of order, if you're not thinking clearly about your duties before God, you will get restless and discontent and fidgety, and you're just gonna start creating problems for yourself. 
So here's the exhortation. When you are angered, when you are frustrated, when you are wearied by change that is not developing as quickly as you want, wait on the Lord. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Let patience have her perfect work. And remember what we, what we mean by that. What does it mean to be patient? It means being patient like a farmer. It means doing what you're in control of, taking care of your mouth, uh, exercising discipline over your tongue and your mind and your heart, and then extending deep grace and love and patience to the people around you. Your spouse needs your patience. Your kids need your, need your patience. Nothing creates long-lasting bad memories graven in stone like parents who lose their patience. Uh, your, your children need your patience, all the people around you. So like a good farmer, plant and water and wait on the Lord. Good things come to those who wait on the Lord. Let's give thanks. Father in heaven, we pray that in the season of preparation and waiting for the feast to come, that you would change us, that you would transform us, that you would mature us and grow us up. And Lord, teach us, teach us by your spirit and by your son's example to wait, to be patient, because what you have for us is worth waiting for. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.